Let's go ahead and jump into the message this morning. We are in week two of the Season of the Light Christmas series that um, I really enjoy sharing with you. I'm looking forward to this morning, but before we get into this morning, uh, I, I do have a kind of a confession to make. I want to kind of put something out there so everybody knows, not that you were going to be surprised at this story. Now, I, I've thought about it this week as kind of leading into the message this morning, and I, I kind of thought, like, have I told this story before? I've been here six years now, a little over six years, and so I'm just going to be honest with you, just so you're aware of it. My life is not that long, so you're going to start getting some repeats, Okay. You're going to get some reruns on stories. And I couldn't remember if I told this story or not. I know some of you may know this story. You may not. But, but I think it fits very well with the message this morning. But when I was a child, when I was a kid, one of the things that I loved to do, even though I didn't necessarily... Like, like, you ever done something and you're like, afterwards you kind of go, oh, I'm glad I did it, but I kind of wish I hadn't because of later, you know? And, and one of the things I would love to do as a child, as a kid, especially as I got a little bit older as a kid, was um, I, I would go search for the Christmas presents. Anybody like that? Anybody? Anybody? Like, like I had a hard time waiting for Christmas morning. And so I would go search. And, and you have to know, like my, my family, I have me and my brother and two sisters. And so basically, you know, when, when it came to presents and things like that, there were lots of kids to buy for and so things would kind of pile up and kind of it was not easy for my mom and dad to find good hiding places especially because I was very good at finding them and so I would search and I would look and I would do all these things well I don't know if you know this term I, I know it's very much from my generation but I was called a, a latchkey kid you ever heard that term basically my mom and dad both worked and so we would come home and I would have the key because I was the oldest and I'd let me and my brother and my sisters in out of school and mom would be there in about 30 minutes or 45 minutes depending on her school day and things like that but we would come home alone well that was like prime time searching time for me mom's not home brothers and sisters are, and so I would search I'd go down to the basement I'd go to my mom and dad's room I'd look I'd do all these things and I'm just gonna let you know right now I have I have I have reformed God has saved me like, I don't want to know what I'm getting for Christmas. I want it to be a surprise, you know? Like, I look at Emily, and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm hiding stuff, even like her stuff and Easton's stuff, you know? And she's kind of just like, you know, there's just a box. I'm like, can you get the box away? I don't want to look at the, you know, because I, I can revert back very easily. And so as a kid, I'm looking, and so I'm, this is about 1988, 18, 1989, around in there, and maybe 1990 or something, and I'm looking for the, the stuff. So I go in, I never forget this, I go into my mom and dad's closet, okay? And mom has a closet, and so she's got all these dresses in the closet. And so I'm going, mm-hmm, there's a little bit of, you know, it's like the, the dresses weren't going down straight, they were kind of doing one of these, you know? And I'm like, there's something behind there. So I'm getting back behind mom's dresses, and I find a Nintendo game that I had been wanting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not Super Nintendo. No, no, no. The original Nintendo. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The arcade game. I mean, this was where it was at, and I was excited. <gasps> I got turtles. I was so excited. And, and here's the deal. I, 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 love, I love young people. You can't be a youth pastor for 15 years and not love young people, but I have learned something about young people. And, and here's the deal. Because um, I, I was one of them at one point. Young people are not always the brightest. No, no. 
And here's how we know this, because, you know, sometimes the older people aren't either. But anyway, so I was always, oh, boy, I got the game. And it was wrapped in the plastic, like, cellophane, you know. And I got this idea. Mom has four children. She works at a school. She has many things to think about. She is not going to remember that there was plastic around this game. Now, you got to remember, every game that has ever been bought at this time had plastic around the game. And I'm so excited. Don't Aaron James me. I did this. I, I was so excited. I opened the package. Because I'm thinking, no, she's not going to remember. She's not going to remember. I opened the package. I got the game out. I played the game on my Nintendo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so great. I was so excited, loving it, having a great time. I was like, oh, mom's coming home soon. So I put it back. I went, I took the cellophane and I disposed of it. I buried it in the back. No, I didn't. Uh, but, you know, I disposed of the, the evidence. I put it away, put everything back, moved the dresses back, get the bulge, had it all set up, was good to go. That, oh, can't wait till Christmas. Can't wait till Christmas. Mom and I get home, nothing. Good. A couple days passed. A couple days passed. Oh, golden. I'm literally thinking, I wonder if I can get in there again and play it some more. And then one day, getting a little bit closer to Christmas, I get it. Aaron, will you come up here to my room? Yeah, sure, Mom. Come on up. Don't know dad's in the room. Hiding, ambush. I come up, burst through. I'm all excited. It's Christmas time. It's my favorite time of year. I'm humming jingle bells. Yeah, mom. I walk into the room. There on the bed is the game. I'm stuck. Dad's behind me. Like I said, ambush. She said, um, I noticed something. I said, oh, what? You know, like I'm trying to play it off. She's like, when I bought this game, there was wrapper around it. And I, I said, oh, was there? You know, I mean, I'm trying to survive at this point. I was in trouble. I remember that very, very vividly. I remember that moment. And at that time, like my mom and dad, I mean, they were just, first of all, they were, they were upset. They were mad. They were really, and they were really disappointed in me. You know, that I would think so little of them. I mean, I mean, I mean you think about all the, the issues here that I basically, in so many ways, basically just kind of slapped them in the face. And I just remember being in that room and just feeling guilt and shame and being caught. And I remember they looked at me and they said, we don't know what we're going to do yet, but we will let you know. And I literally was like, my Christmas is done. Like, you know, because I'm thinking they're, they're going to give the, they're going to take my all, everything back. And I mean, I was not in a good place. 
in a minute we'll, we'll, we'll conclude the story and you'll figure out if I survived or not. But you see, Christmas in a lot of ways for a lot of people is, is about the gifts and the things that we are given. And, and in that moment, my parents had a decision to make on what gift they were going to extend to me. I was guilty. I was caught. They, I was done. There was no excuse that was good enough. There was nothing I could say. As we focus this time of the year on Jesus, as we kind of put away some of those things, there's, there's some gifts that, that, that he came to give. There's some gifts that the light came to give us. And if we can understand that, it can kind of help us as we kind of make sure this time and this season really does revolve around Jesus and who he is. But before we really jump into that, let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you. God, we thank you that you're so good. We thank you that you are the greatest gift giver that has ever been because you gave yourself for us. And so, God, as we look at this together this morning, I pray you give us wisdom and direction. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story in John's gospel where, where Jesus has an opportunity to give some gifts. He has the opportunity to do lots of different things, but we're going to look at it together. And look, I understand this may be a portion of Scripture that you've never heard during a Christmas season message, but it is very timely, I believe, as we look at these things together. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, or it'll be up on the screen, or open your phone to John chapter 8. We're going to look at the story together and kind of break it down for a minute, or kind of look at the parts of the story, and then kind of come back and, and kind of look at some things together. So again, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 8, we're going to start with verse number 2. It says, but early the next morning, he, which is Jesus here, went back again to the temple. And a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. Like I said, I'm going to kind of break some of these things down, because some of you may have heard this story before, but there may be some issues, or, some, or not some issues, some, some ideas that you haven't seen before. You see, what's happening here in this story is Jesus has been in and out of the temple the last several days. He's teaching. He is he's doing some, some ministering and things of that nature, and there is a crowd that has gathered Sometimes when we think about this story, we think of a very isolated incident. This is not. This is a very public, very public situation. And it was made that way on purpose. So Jesus here is teaching. He's in the temple. A crowd is around him uh, as, as he's been teaching the people. Now verse 3, as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of of the crowd. Now again, some important things to realize here. There's a crowd around. There's a lot of people. We, we see this idea of being literally caught in the act. That's important for a couple reasons. We'll get to it in a minute. But basically what we're seeing here is this woman was literally dragged from bed. Now, what's interesting is they bring this woman. Where's the guy? We don't know. A lot of theologians, a lot of Bible scholars believe that this was a complete and total setup. We don't know. We don't know much about this woman. We just literally know her in Scripture as the woman who was caught in adultery. So they bring her. They stand her up in front of this crowd. Can you imagine 
what must have been going through her head and her mind in that moment. Remember, these are real people. These aren't statues. They have real emotion. And she is dragged from a very compromising, embarrassing position in front of a crowd at the temple. And they place her in front of Jesus. And this is what they say. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Now, let's understand a couple things. We're not going to go back to the Old Testament and and show the the verses, but, but let's understand a couple things here. Adultery was a capital offense. It was a capital offense in the law of Moses. However, there are some things you need to understand about it. Number one, it was a very strict thing when it came to persecuting someone for this act. There had to be multiple witnesses. The witnesses had to literally catch someone in the act of adultery. That's why it's important that they caught her in this way. The witnesses had to have the exact same testimony. And because of all of these things, very few people were actually killed for adultery because this is a relatively private type of sin. So they bring this woman before Jesus and they say, this is what the law says. And they're doing it to trap him. Now, how are they trying to trap Jesus? A couple ways. Number one, if Jesus says, basically, don't, don't kill her, don't stone her, don't, don't do, do that, then they can basically say, well, obviously, Jesus is not who he says he is. He's against the law of Moses. If Jesus basically said, you know, basically kill her, yeah, let's take her out, then he, he seems very cruel. He seems very vindictive in some ways, but also it's trapped because in this time, the Roman government has removed the ideas or the, the, the authority of the Jewish people to carry out these types of situations. It's why Jesus isn't just taken out and killed and crucified. They have to go to Pilate. So what they're doing is they're basically saying, Jesus, if you say killer, then we're going to do it. And then we're going to say, look, you're against Rome. If you say, don't kill her, then we're going to say you're against God. They're trying to trap him. This happens other times in scriptures as well. So that's our situation. And I want you this morning to kind of think about that. Think about this moment in history and in time. So now let's continue with the story. John 8, verses the second part of 6 is, But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle, check it out, of the crowd with the woman. So I want you to stop for a second. Jesus gets down, begins to write in the dirt. We, we don't know what Jesus wrote. There's been tons of speculation, but that's all it is. It's speculation. We don't know what is written. That may be one of those things that we ask Jesus one day. What were you writing in the dirt? 
But Jesus kind of begins to try to diffuse the situation a little bit. He begins to kind of go down. He begins to kind of do some things in the dirt. And they're pestering him. Give us an answer. Give us an answer. Give us an answer. And so Jesus' response is like, all right, fine. If you want to do this, basically what he's saying is this, and I'll explain why in a minute. If you want to do this, fine, but we got to do it right. You see, what he's basically saying is this. The one that throws the first stone, according to basically what would happen in the Old Testament and tradition, was the individuals who witnessed the act. So if you were a witness of this, and you, so you were the one basically saying, listen, I believe in this. I saw this. I completely, uh, this is what happened. I have no issue throwing the first rock. So in this moment, what Jesus does is he kind of flips the situation and says, listen, okay, if you want to do this, fine. But if you saw it, if you were the witness of it, then you pick up the rock and you throw it first. Well, they don't. Now, why don't they? Well, it's pretty clear that at this point, what we've seen is a setup. What we've seen here is someone that they don't care about this woman at all. She was just a pawn. Doesn't matter if her life was destroyed. Doesn't matter what happens to her. She's the one that's expendable here. But yet Jesus cares and loves her so much. And so he basically says, fine, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. This is how it's done right. Pick it up and start throwing rocks. And slowly, from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to walk away. But listen, the crowd is still here. The crowd is still present in this moment. Let's continue on. John 10. I love this. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? In a lot of ways, what Jesus is saying is, where were the ones who were so quick to condemn you? Where were the ones who tricked you? Where did they go? Because here's the deal. In a lot of ways, what are they going to do? If they start picking up rocks and throwing them at her and kill her, well, they're in trouble with the Romans too. He said, didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she says. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. We're going to go back to John 8, 11 later on in the message, but to kind of bring some more light to that statement. But at the same time, Jesus here has completely taken care of a situation. He has given some unbelievable gifts to this woman. And we're going to look at them this morning. But again, let's continue on. Look what happens, though, in John 8. Because most of us, this is where the story ends. We go, okay, what a story. Okay, moving on. But John 8, 12 continues on. It says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said. Remember, Jesus had been teaching in the temple. They bring her out. This is a very public thing. The crowd happens. He does all these things. And then afterwards, he continues with his teaching. And he says this, After all this has happened, you have to understand the context here. It's important. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Isn't that interesting? that we just saw men that brought forth this woman who did not understand the light, 
who were walking around in darkness and walking around in death. And immediately following this situation and these moments, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness like they did. You don't have to walk in darkness like she was. You can have the light of life. And we have to understand that because as we look at the gifts that Jesus gives to this woman, as we look at these gifts that Jesus also gives us, there is a light that will lead us to life. But if we refuse these gifts, if we walk away, when we're confronted with our sin and our mistakes, we will not have life. Instead, we will continue to walk in darkness. So these gifts that the light brings you or brings this woman are lights that he wants to also extend to you and to me and every person who ever has been or will be on this earth. So let's look at them together. Number one, the light gives the gift of grace. Grace. Now here's the deal. We're going to be talking about some words this morning that you have heard thousands of times. But I want to have a deeper understanding of what these words really are. Because sometimes we can say them and we can hear them and we can forget the depth of what they really are. So we're going to look at that. The word grace in the New Testament comes from the Greek word charis, which means, it's, you got to get this, means favor, blessing, kindness, and goodness. When you sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You are talking about God's favor, his blessing, his kindness, and his goodness that has been extended to you. It is much more than just salvation. It's a greater understanding of what that salvation is and how it was offered to you. Listen, this is, I put this, I know it's right after what I just said, but you got to get this. Grace is God choosing to give favor blessing, kindness, and goodness rather than curse us as our sin deserves. It is benevolence to the undeserving. The first gift that is given to this woman. Listen, she's guilty. Is we're going to put it. We say this all the time. She's guilty as sin. She's caught in the act. If there's anybody there who can throw, quote-unquote, the first stone, it's Jesus. And he doesn't. He extends kindness, favor, blessing to someone that doesn't deserve it. You see, there's a totally different word when you give somebody what they deserve. Grace is unmerited favor. It's understanding that God chooses to do something that we don't deserve. The woman didn't deserve it, but yet Jesus gives it. He gives it in an unbelievable way, in a very public setting to a woman who desperately needed it. Look with me at Ephesians 2.8. I like this verse. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. It's undeserved. You can't 
earn it. You can't work hard enough. You can't do the things that you have to do to get it. It is something that is totally undeserving. It's something totally undeserved as far as what God has done and what God wants to do. God chose to do it. Listen, I like that. Because there's things in my life that I can't, I, I don't really have a choice. I got to do it. But God chose to do this. We deserved the curse, but yet he gives us the light and he gives us life. But not only that, look at John 1. I always love this verse. John 1, 16 through 17. For from his fullness, we have all received, I love this. If you, if you underline stuff, underline this in your Bible. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace. It's like, here's the grace of God, and God's like, I got more, and I got more, and I got more. He just keeps piling it on and on and on and on in our lives. We didn't deserve it either. But yet the light comes and he extends this unbelievable gift to you and to me. But number two, he doesn't just give grace. He gives also the gift of mercy. Now here's the deal. A lot of times we talk about grace and mercy together, but they are somewhat different in what they really are. Grace is something different from mercy. And we talk about it, sometimes we'll see it in Scripture where it talks about grace and mercy, and that's fine. But we have to understand that grace is one thing and mercy is another. Mercy is a little bit different. You see, in our notes, grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give you something you do deserve. You see the difference? Mercy is basically also extended to you because God doesn't do what we deserve. Because we deserve death. We deserve darkness. We deserve a life apart from Him. But not only does He offer us and choose to give us this grace, but then He doesn't give us what we do really deserve. Listen, don't ever, ever pray, God, give me what I deserve. You don't want it. But mercy is so unbelievable. Because not only does God choose to give us good things, but he chooses not to give us the things that you and I really deserve. Look at Titus 3.5. In Titus 3.5, it says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done. Once again, this idea, you don't deserve it. We didn't do anything to get it. But because of his mercy. His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1, 3a, this is what it says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We all desperately need mercy. Grace is awesome. We'll take it every day of the week. But you also need to understand the gift of mercy that has been given to you. 
the gift that Jesus came to give that woman. You see, Jesus could have said, all right, here's the deal. You still messed up. You're going to get what you deserve. And listen, I am totally understand and totally get that our sin has consequences. And we will deal with that consequence in our lives. But here's what we know. Because of the great mercy of God and the grace of God, our sins can be forgiven. They can be wiped away. The wages that we were going to have to pay in death because of His great grace and mercy can be wiped away because of what Jesus has done for us. So instead of being that individual that's standing there in front of the crowd, just, just going, oh my goodness, my life is done. They're going to start hurling things at my head. Jesus extends grace and he extends mercy. But here's what's so amazing about our Jesus. Here's what shows that he is such an unbelievable giver. He doesn't just extend grace and mercy. He extends one other thing. He extends and gives the gift of hope. Hope. Okay, now this is where you have to start understanding these aren't marble people. They're real people with real emotions who went through these things. These aren't fairy tales. These is real life stuff that happened to people. But let's go back now and look at what Jesus says in John 8. Okay, In John 8, this is Jesus' response to the woman. I told you we'd come back here. Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. These are very powerful words. They're very important words. They're very poignant words. We need to understand that Jesus did several things when he spoke these words to this woman, okay? And we also need to understand that Jesus, when he has forgiven us and extended grace and mercy to us, he wants us to understand these same things. Number one, he recognized that the woman had, uh, what the woman had done was sin because he told her to stop sinning. Jesus didn't okay it. He didn't say it was fine. He didn't say there is no such thing as sin. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And I don't care if it's spoken from a pulpit or a podium or wherever it's spoken from. Sin is sin. Period. And Jesus didn't okay it. And Jesus didn't say it was He extended grace and mercy, but he didn't say sin didn't still have some major stuff that was attached to it. That we need to understand. And listen, I know we live in a world where, oh, what, what sins? <laughs> listen, I'm just telling you right now. I didn't write the book. I'm just telling you what it says. He acknowledged her sin. He acknowledged that she had fallen short of God's glorious standard. But he doesn't stop there. He continues because those words also express, as he told, the next thing is he told her to repent and not to continue her sin. You see, we have to, this is important, we, we miss this. This is why when we have people that talk about, no, that's not sin or whatever, it is so dangerous. Because if you can't acknowledge sin, you can then not acknowledge repentance. Do you understand why the enemy is pushing this so hard? Because he knows, listen, if you can't acknowledge that you have fallen short, then why would you repent? Why would you go, I, I did something wrong. I didn't meet God's standard. And so not only does Jesus recognize it's sin, but then because of it being sin, he says you need to repent and change. Life change is what Jesus is wanting her to do. So it starts with an acknowledgement. 
but it continues on with the idea of repentance and that it is available to her. It's available. Why would Jesus say repent when it's not available? When it's too late? When it's gone? One of the greatest hopes that we have is when we, when we do mess up, when we do sin, that we can go to our Father who is good and just and promise to forgive us of our sin. Number three, he gave her hope that her life could go on in freedom from sexual sin. Isn't that amazing? For him to say, go and sin more, no more, Jesus was expressing to her that with my help, that is possible. You can have victory over what binds you. You can have freedom for the captives because that's what Jesus came to do. And when he says, go and sin no more, he's saying, listen, that's possible for you. Will you need me? Yes, but I can change your heart and your life to make that a reality. So many of us, we have understood this idea of repentance and, and sin, but we have forgotten that we can live in freedom from the sin that so easily binds us. There's a hope in that. There's a hope that says, you know what? God can form me and change me and make me more like his son. By Jesus looking at her and saying, listen, go and sin no more. There is hope that that's possible. Because what kind of a God would he be if he said, go do something that could never be done without, with, with his help? There's a hope there. But there's something else that he does. He gave her a word of hope to speak against the shame that would likely, that would later likely threaten to overwhelm her life. Where does all this take place? The temple. During a feast, there is a crowd. Come on, we know how people are. I mean, you would talk about the shame in the moment, the guilt in the moment. What about the guilt and the shame that others would pile on her for probably the rest of her life? But you know what? When Jesus gives us grace and he gives us mercy, yeah, there's things in our past, but it's done and it's forgiven. But here's what I've learned about our past. We are bad at bringing it up, and others sure are bad at bringing it up. And what Jesus has given this woman was something to combat both of those things in her own life and in the lives of people that bring it up and throw it back into her face. Yes, I was this. Yes, I did do that, but God gave me grace. He gave me mercy. He said I could be forgiven and I could go and sin no more. So yes, I have a past, but you know what? God has redeemed my present and my future. And so I don't have to live in shame. I don't have to look at my life as a failure. I can look at it as one that has been forgiven and saved, not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. What a gift that has been given. He didn't just deal with the things that were in that moment. He dealt with the stuff that he knew would come. And that is available to you and to me. 
You see, sometimes we think as Christians, yes, we experience the grace. Yes, we experience the mercy. Isn't that wonderful? But there's a hope that endures. There's a hope that can continue. But for some of us, we take the grace and the mercy and think that now is our job to live with the shame of our past. And God said, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I gave grace and mercy and hope. Grab your hope. Grab on to that. We had a funeral just this week. Alan came up and shared a beautiful uh, memory of his mom. But he made a comment. He said, you know what? Mom wasn't perfect. And you know what? He's right. Because nobody is. But you know what we did that day? We didn't focus on Hazel's imperfection. We focus on the fact that you know what happened? Jesus took her imperfection and made it, took care of it, forgave it, and now she's with him for all eternity. And we today have a hope because of that, just like she did. It's so important that we accept the gifts that God has given us. I brought something this morning. I brought a relic of the past. Now, I know you still get these, but this is a relic of Christmas past that I remember very vividly as a child growing up because obviously at this time, the internet was, what's that? Okay? And I remember these. I remember my mom keeping these, especially as we got a little bit older as teenagers because we would possibly need this after Christmas. Are you ready for my relic? You know what this is? If I had kids here, they probably would not know what this is. This is a receipt. And I remember going Christmas shopping, and you would get this little piece of paper, wouldn't you? And you'd get it all, and depending on the store, and depending on, you know, like, like I remember mom had some, you know, remember four kids, had some pretty long receipts. She'd have those out, and... Man, after Christmas, man, it was like, where are the receipts? You know, it's the day after Christmas. I need my receipt because I got to go back and get another size or another color or whatever. And you had to have, this was your golden ticket to be able to get something you wanted, you know. And I remember thinking about those and, and, and you know, during Christmas time, I kind of revert back to memories and things that I kind of miss. You know, like, listen, I, I'm all for shopping online. I'm, I mean, that's, it's, it's click, 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 done. It's great. But I, I do kind of miss going sometimes to the mall or the store and looking through things and having one of these. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. And, 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 and what a seat is, it's basically your bill. It's basically what you bought, what you, and, and then what has to be paid for. And I started thinking about it and, and how my life works. And, and if I was ever standing before God... And God kind of looked at me and said, you know what, let's start tallying up your bill. And he started saying, okay, well, you, uh, you lied here. And started inputting it in, you know. I remember the old, um, you know, things that, like JCPenney's or whatever, and they, would, and they would, you know, make that noise, you know, as the receipt just kept going, you know. God would say, okay, well, you... you uh, 
you were very rude to somebody here, and hey, you, uh, you had some idols in your life here, and he began to print out my receipt, my bill. As he began to do that, man, oh man. And then he looks at me and he hits the enter button. And then something much, much longer than this comes out. God hands me the bill. And I look at him and I say, God, I can't pay. You see, I haven't been good enough. I haven't given enough. I haven't served enough. I haven't done enough. I've said things. You're right. I, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I don't... I, I, I got a debt that I can't pay. That's not an easy place to be in when we realize our debt. You see, that woman in that moment... She had a pretty big bill. And Jesus came. And in my life and in your life and in her life, he basically said, you know what, I'll take care of the bill. He paid it all through his grace, his mercy, and his hope, and his life. And paid my bill. Paid your bill. And changed everything in us because of his great love and his great mercy. And so you know what? One day I am going to stand before God. Just like you and everybody on this planet. But because of what Jesus has done and paid this, God's going to look and he's going to say, you know what? Painful. Even though my receipt's pretty long. That woman had a pretty long receipt. But yet Jesus paid it. He did that for you and for me. And because of that, we need to do something with those gifts. And listen, I looked this week. I have found out this is actually okay now. I found a website. I actually found several websites that talked about re-gifting etiquette. Like, I always thought, like, you couldn't give something to gave, you know, like, because somebody is going to say, where is that really beautiful tie I gave you, you know, that you never wear, you know? And it's like, you've got to have it at least one time or something because somebody wants to see it. And so if you've re-gifted it to your uncle or something, you're in trouble. But there is actually, like, etiquette now. Like, like, like seriously, some of you, I've just freed you up. You're done with Christmas shopping all of a sudden. You just got to re-gift it. So there's ways to do this. But you know what? Now that we've experienced the grace and the, the mercy and the hope, you know what it's time to do now? It's time to re-gift the gifts from the light. We need to re-gift these gifts that we've been given. Look at Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. But, 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 but Aaron, you don't understand. 
I don't want to give them grace. I don't want to give them mercy. I want them to get what they deserve. I don't want them to have hope. But you don't know what they did to me. And all those things come up. And I get them. Your feelings are real. And there's hearts that are there. But you've been given a gift. A gift that you didn't. You say, Aaron, they don't deserve it. You didn't either. I didn't either. But yet the gift was given. The gift was received. And here's the thing that's really interesting about Ephesians 4. You are not, hear me here, you need to get this. Your life will never be free of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and all types of evil behavior if you are not willing to let God work in your life to bring forth what takes place in verse 32. Some of us, we don't have tender hearts because we're not forgiving one another. We have forgotten what God has done for us and instead we live lives of bitterness, rage, and anger, and harsh words, and slander, and all types of evil. We can't figure out why. Because we have not regifted that grace and that mercy. Jesus expounds on this with a parable. It literally is called, at least in my Bible, it was called the parable of the unmerciful servant. We're not going to look at it until we go to the end, but in the story, in the parable, basically a servant is, goes before a king and, and is forgiven just a massive, literally massive amount of money, a massive debt. He leaves the king's throne room and finds a fellow servant who owes him in comparison like literally a million dollars to a buck. Grabs him and demands his money. Throws him in prison because he can't pay. When he, the other servant begs for mercy, begs for more time. The king finds out about it. And look, listen, this is important. Look what scripture teaches us in Matthew 18, starting with verse number 32. It says, Then the king called the man he had forgiven. You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured. I mean, it's serious. Tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Verse 35. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. You say, what do you mean tortured? You know what I found? People that live with anger, unforgiveness, and bitterness... They're tortured. They don't even maybe realize it, but they are tortured people because they have missed something very important. They have missed the fact that God has forgiven them and given them amazing gifts. Here, guess what? Guess what I did? I brought another receipt. Now this one, a little shorter, isn't it? Like, like this, these, are, these are hopefully good receipts. I mean, now, you know, like you get a receipt like this and, and uh, this receipt is a lot less, I'm just going to tell you, than this receipt. 
But you know what? To get this receipt, there's still something to be paid. And you know what I found in my own life and sometimes in the lives of others? Is someone wrongs us, something, somebody offends us, someone hurts us. And boy, we are real quick to print out that receipt. Look what you did. Look what you said. Look, 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 look. I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to hold this over your head until you're dead. Look what you did to me. And look, I get it. There's some receipts, and they don't have to be long. And they can be a big bill. I'm not here to talk about how your pain isn't real, because it is real. Hurts are real. That's not what this is about. What I want us to understand is this. You get me? You see, when we start to realize how long this bill is that was just paid, this is pretty insignificant. I'm just going to be honest. Because I know, I know I've hurt people and I know people have hurt me. I know what it is to be hurt. And I know what it is to live with unforgiveness and to allow that to consume me. And I also know what it is to realize the debt that really was paid for my life and to accept the gift and to re-gift those gifts. You say, Aaron, why is that important? Well, for lots of reasons. But it also gives us something else to re-gift, which is that hope. You see, when we are willing to forgive others, we're acting very much like our Jesus, who the world desperately needs to see because it's very dark and we become his light. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. It says, Any, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Having this forgiven, having this graced and mercied and hope is a pretty good advertisement for who Jesus is, isn't it? It's a pretty bright light that can be sh shined out into our world. But listen, if you are going to hold on to this, if you're not willing to give the gifts and re-gift what has been given to you, you're going to be walking around in a lot of darkness where God has come to give you light. And you say, Aaron, I don't know if I can. You don't know what's happened. Listen, I don't. But I do know this. God does, and he commands us to forgive. But I'm so thankful that God doesn't command us to do something and then says, you're on your own. If he commands us, he will help us to do it. Some of us, it's not so much about forgiving. It's about going to Jesus and having him help us to forgive and allowing that freedom to come and to take place. Because here's the deal. You and I, we all have bills. We all have things that we have to pay Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin, the bill of sin is death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I told you I'd come back at the very end to talk about my story so you could see if I survived or not. I remember after a little bit of time, my mom and dad talked. And they brought me back upstairs. And I mean, they could have done lots of different things. And trust me, there was a bill to pay. And I paid it. But my parents could have done a lot of things. You know what mom and dad did? They extended grace. I didn't deserve it. I was guilty. So guilty. I thought I can do it my own way. I can handle this. I can do my own thing. Nobody will know. They extended grace. Not only did they extend grace, <laughs> they extended some mercy. You see, you know what's crazy? I had Christmas that year. I didn't get up, go downstairs, and watch everybody else open their gifts. And you know what? Here's the deal. I mean, just seriously, think about it. Like, that was just, that could have been totally justified. Like, I, I, I kind of ruined Christmas. I mean, you got to know my mom, especially. Like, like she loves giving gifts. Like, I, I ruined her Christmas. Because I was selfish. Because I couldn't wait. I mean, you could talk about maybe you shouldn't have been looking for presents. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, that's probably true. But I really shouldn't have been opening up and playing with it. But my mom and dad extended mercy to me. They didn't give me what I really did deserve. You know what's amazing about what they did? Like, minimum, you would think, like, like they gave me the game. They let me keep it. They let me have it. Like you go, well, well, they couldn't have returned it. It was open. You know what? They could have thrown it in the trash. They could have given it to somebody else. They extended grace and mercy to a very undeserving child. My parents did. And you know what's amazing about that? Because my parents extended grace and mercy, you and me today, and who knows who online can have hope. Because here's the deal, whether you know it or not, realize it or not, understand it or not, every single one of us, one day, is going to be called up to mom and dad's room. And the game is going to sit on the bed. And there's going to be no excuse. No excuse is going to be good enough. We're all going to be guilty. Our receipt's going to be put out there in front of all of us. But because of Jesus, because of the light of the world, we can have grace, mercy, forgiveness, and hope. That even though we're as guilty as sin, that because of Jesus, our sin has been wiped away.
as God says, come, let's talk. Though your sin was as red as crimson, my grace and my mercy can make it as white as snow. What a gift. And listen, here's the deal. If you accept that gift and enjoy that gift or have in the past, man, that's great. It's always good to have a reminder of that grace and that mercy because it gives us hope for today and tomorrow. But listen, if all you do this season or all you do in your life is get those gifts and you don't give them to somebody else, multiple people, you're missing it. You see, there's some regifting that needs to take place. And I know when I talk about stuff like this and anger and forgiveness and bitterness and all the things, you know, you, there's people probably hear it online that are sitting there, but you know, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. And you're right. I don't know. I don't. But here's what I do know. I know if you're like me, your receipt with Jesus is a lot bigger. And He forgave you. And if you want more gifts that Jesus has, you know, gifts like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, you want some more of those gifts, you first have to be willing to re-gift the grace and the mercy and the hope to those in your life that quite honestly don't deserve it because you didn't deserve it either. And here's what I know. When we're willing to give those gifts back to others, the gifts of God just keep coming. We don't do it for the gifts. We do it because this is what our Jesus has shown us. We forgive and extend because we want to be like Him. And He's done that for you and for me. So let's bow our heads. I know we've gone a little bit long and I apologize, but let's pray. Father, we come to You right now. And Jesus, first, in a lot of ways, we're the little boy that opened the game. We're the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. There's no excuse. There's no, there's no way out. We're guilty. We've messed up. We've sinned against You. But Jesus, in your great love, this time of year we celebrate your coming. You came to die. You came to make a way where there was no other way. You see, there was a bill to be paid. Something was going to have to die because my bill was death, just like everybody else's. But Jesus, you came and you gave your own life so that you could give the gifts of grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope and love and joy and peace and all sorts of other things. And so Jesus, right now, we just thank you for those gifts. If we never have, if we never have accepted those gifts, God, we know that we can do it right now. We can pray to you and say, we believe that God, that you are, that Jesus, you are God's son. 
We can believe in our heart and confess in our mouth that you are Lord. We can accept that forgiveness and accept those gifts that you have given us. So whether it's the first time or realizing it again for the 10,000th time, there is power in the grace and the mercy and the hope of Jesus that's been extended to us. But Jesus, for some of us, we accepted the gifts, but now it's time to be a re-giver of them. We need to be a people that don't hoard these gifts, but shower them on people in our lives. Yes, probably people that don't deserve them. People that are guilty. People that hurt us. People that did that or offended us or said that or what, whatever it is. Not because they deserve it, but because you have forgiven us. We want, we want to be a people who realize our receipt compared to the receipt of others in our lives and go, you know what? Yeah, what you did hurt me. Yeah, what you did was wrong. But if my Jesus can forgive me with his help, I forgive you. And the torture can stop. The guilt can stop. The shame can stop. Hope can be spoken again. So God, wherever we're at, God, I pray that this season, the gifts that are given are not gifts that are under a tree. There are gifts that started from you that you give and give and give that we in turn give to those that we have in our lives. Help us do this because we can't do it without you. But we know with your help, all things are possible through Christ who gives us strength. We love you so much. You're so good. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. So listen, be good gift givers this year. Give good gifts, but make sure you give the ones that you are to God. Because there are people in your life that desperately needs them. And God's placed you strategically to make an impact for them to be a light in that dark place. All right? Awesome. Listen, I know there's a lot going on. Make sure that you're aware of everything, but I hope you have a great week. For those who are online, we love you. We miss you. Remember, guys, Christmas Eve, we'll be here at 4, not at 10. It's going to be a great evening, a great afternoon. Really going to hope you're able to be with us. Have a great week. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you soon.